Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the brave and ecstatic Marav Richter. Brave Ecstatic Woman is actually the title of her book, her second one. She's written three, one co-authored with her daughter. In addition to best-selling author, Marav is so many things. Performer, poet, mystic, traveler, proud mama, and career woman. We met a few years ago when we were both cast in The Vagina Monologues. Since then, I've had the privilege of sharing the stage with Marav seven times as she passionately delivers important messages to captivated audiences about womanhood and empowerment. Marav's energy on and off stage is undeniable, and I'm so happy to have her here today to share her story. Welcome, Marav. Thank you, Kim. That was such a great introduction. I, I, I love hearing uh, how other people see me, and I love hearing your very, very, very sexy voice. Speaking about me, that was a turn on. Thank you, Kim. Oh, thank, thank you, very, you. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get our radio voices on. You do it really well. I love it. So I wanted to start out by talking about TEDx. You had a very exciting weekend speaking at TEDx. And tell me, you've got to still be on a high from that. I so had such a great time. And yes, I'm definitely still on a high. I First of all, this TEDx experience, uh, it was actually my second one. And this TEDx experience was just so brilliant, so wonderfully organized. Now, I want to take it back, actually, another level before TEDx, because in November, so just a few months ago, I actually did this um, out-of-the-box sort of, you know, create-your-own-life week this very intensive week with someone who is my mentor, actually one of the one of the speakers and the participants of a movie called The Secret. Um, and I've been following, I won't mention the name because I don't want it to be advertising for them, but it was so profound for me to be there in November. And I, in November, created this little list of my own goals, my own achievements that I'm going to achieve. And I'd been on a pretty wild ride up until then. So it's not like someone, you know, it's not like I was a slacker, but, uh, but these were goals that was like 10x. Like, if you think that you can attain them, then they're too easy for you. Think a little higher, a little deeper, a little further. Go stretch yourself that you don't even know how you're going to get that. But that wish, make that come true. And so I wrote this little goal card that had all sorts of things on my wish list. uh, And one of them being a TEDx. Well, would you know, Could life have even manifested in a more perfectly orchestrated way? My TEDx this past weekend took place in the exact same hotel. Oh my gosh. As that event that I just did. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Amazing. And yes, I'm on such a high. Uh, Very, very uh, amazing audience, amazing feedback. I'm honored with all the other speakers uh, that I spoke with. And it was really sort of the message that came through that needed to be told, right? I get that all the time when people have been asking me, what should they speak about? You know, what people are often looking at it almost like the cart before the horse or looking at it from a different, from the wrong angle, which is they're trying to find which niche needs they need to fill. And I always say like, really, that's reverse engineering, you know, like that's, 
that's you're doing it ass backwards. What you need to do is have that message come through you, the message that you can't not tell, the the language that you can't not speak, the thing that you speak about with so much passion, and the rest of the world will crumble itself into your reality. Like it will just drip kind of like a sand through the hourglass. Like it'll just drip into the container that is that you are now holding. And that's exactly what happened for me in my TEDx. That was exactly it. It was the exact message at the exact right time. And I 100% am on a huge high from it. And I can't wait for the video to come out. Amazing. Uh, yeah, fairly. I mean, they have to go through a very stringent uh, process we know TEDx being the organization that it is uh, I don't uh, I don't expect the videos to be out exceptionally soon but when they will come out it will be to you know a hundred percent to excellent to that le- level of excellence that we've come to know TEDx I cannot wait to see it me too I so can't wait to share yeah can you tell us a little bit about that authentic message that you shared yes I'd love to 100 <laughs> percent um and I won't you know to, to keep the surprise and to pique the curiosity I won't give you what the speech was per se uh, uh but it's a different it's a it's a I've turned left from what I used to speak about and I know that you and I are going to speak about that soon enough also but for years you know before the whole me too movement and the times up movement I was working in the world of women's empowerment um and as you had seen or we had spoken about before you know one of the things that really had me awaken to that path and to that pursuit was that in 2009 I was in Vancouver for the World Peace Conference and the Dalai Lama had said that the world will be saved by the Western woman. And I went, oh, (laughs) the angels sang, the hair, you know, I had God bumps or what I call goosebumps, the hair on the back of my neck stood on end. I mean, I just knew that he was speaking to me. And then I also had that little voice of, you know, I call it the itty bitty pity committee I also sometimes can we swear is that of okay? course I also Please sometimes do. call it the itty bitty shitty committee <laughs> <laughs> that we have in our minds that goes girl come on now who do you think you are you're not Oprah Winfrey you're not Michelle Obama you're not Condoleezza Rice I mean you're like you're not any of these aren't of, you well <laughs> well let's say that I'm Rav Richter and I get that now but in 2009 when I heard the Dalai Lama say that the world will be saved by the Western woman. And I knew that it was me, that itty bitty pity committee or itty bitty shitty committee that was in my head was also saying, you're just a stay at home mom with a, you know, that works, right? I I wasn't um, a stay at home mom, but I was a stay at home mom with sort of like a pretty kind of boring state part-time job um, that I loved, but I wasn't really committed to, to bring out my talent and my art and my creativity and that thing that I am uniquely put on this earth to do. I wasn't yet walking my path. So thank you for saying, well, aren't you though today, but the woman I am in 2019 is very different than the woman I was in 2009. In 2009, that voice that said, well, who are you? Was a lot louder, Mm. was a lot louder. And I'll also say it's actually, it still comes up, right? Let's let's acknowledge that that voice of the ego still comes up. It just comes up now to the bigger and better things that I put on my goal card. 
and the things that are that are now like, oh, I couldn't do that. I mean, that's just like I would need to be really brave to do that. Well, those things look different, but that voice still comes in. Of course. And I, I think that does for everyone, even, you know, people who seem the most confident because you surely seem confident to me. But I think it's normal that, you know, we all feel, you know, um, that way sometimes, but I think the fact that you've been on this journey and, you know, you started in a very different place, um, where, you know, you didn't feel the most confident, but you've been on, you know, going along this path the last several years that have brought you to a place where you're so much stronger and, you know, know where you're going. I think looking back on the journey so far, and seeing how far you've come and knowing that you can do amazing big things is such a beautiful lesson to share with people who might be feeling stuck. Yeah. Or oh. that they can't do or that they have to settle for what is there now. Like there is this whole world out there yeah. that if we just take a chance. And there was a quote that I read the other day. It was something like, if you have, you know, 20 seconds of embarrassing courage, right. just imagine what you can do. That wasn't it verbatim, but you get yeah, the I, point, yeah, right? Yeah, insane courage. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, and you, you think of it in a sense, we can all relate to that sort of seeing someone else do, do something and say, wow, if I only had the courage to do that. But then if you relate it to the things that you have done in life, like when you went from tricycle to two-wheeler bike with stabilizers, with, with training wheels. That was a huge leap. That was a huge leap. I mean, it's so much higher off the ground. It's a different way of moving your legs. I mean, it's, right, like, that's a big girl bike, right? You went from a little girl bike to a big girl bike, and you felt accomplished, and the training wheels were still on. And then the day you got those training wheels off, <clears throat> and, you know, you might not even remember with your own life, but anyone who's had kids... And take, take them through the bike riding process, right? Like, you can see it. You can see that they gain the confidence. You would not want your 5-year-old, your 8-year-old, your 12-year-old to remain on the tricycle. Nor could they. Mm-hmm. There are some things that you just outgrow and you have to go to the next process. Oh, I love what you just said. <laughs> I love what you just said. Because we do sometimes find that we outgrow and we need to sort of bust through you know where we are right now and 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 think bigger yeah and would you ever want to take away that feeling of success that comes for that little let's say the little girl that was you the little girl that was you would you ever want to take the success away from her of the accomplishment that she feels that she felt the first time she was on that bike with the training wheels and then the first time she was on that bike without the training wheels. And then the first time that she got on the bigger bike. And now the one that has the brakes on the handlebars. And now the one that when she's coursing through the forest, you know, and, and doing crazy tricks. Like, would you ever want to take that feeling of success away from her? And yet, we do that to ourselves all the time. I could never go on stage. I could never. Like, just... Go, go through life and try to think of every single person that you admire that's around you or celebrity or anything and think about all the things that you admire about them. And if you can't think of five, well, mm, there's like, that's a sign of something wrong too. Think about five people that you admire in your, in your existence and, and whether, you know, the people who are in your life, 
celebrities, stories that you've heard about women who have traveled the world or women who came as immigrants and made, made you know, or people who started businesses, whatever it is. Think of those things that you admire about them and just think, would you ever want that feeling of success to be taken away from them? And if you know that that's the feeling of success because you admire that about them, then why would you take it away from you? Why would you ever take that that away? Yeah. So it's all about sort of setting off on a journey and I think, you know, acknowledging that there are steps that you need to take to to get there. Not that there's a specific there. No. There but, can be, like, right. I don't know that the journey really ever ends, right? Never, in terms right. of self-discovery and mm. growth and things like that. But I guess it's just a matter of realizing that there are baby steps yeah. and enjoying each and every one of those because they're all meaningful and we can enjoy um, the success in each, you know, in each little win that we have, so totally. to speak. Totally. I mean, if you think of it this way, for me personally, uh, you know, I've heard of women who have uh, swam across the ocean to Cuba. That's not necessarily a personal goal for me. It just doesn't interest me. But if you look at a woman who swam to Cuba and you think, wow, that's inspiring, that's a that's a sign. That's an inkling. That's something that you should be listening to. Your ears should be pricking up and going, hmm, that's something I really admire about that woman. Now, she didn't start out by swimming to Cuba. She started out at 5 a.m. in the local pool. Or, or in the river behind her house, if you know, or, or wherever it is, like small scale, it was just a step. So every time you think of someone else who's done something that you want to do, that you go, wow, I wish I could do that. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Take it. Reverse engineer it, right? Take it back to the smallest, the smallest step. What step can you do now towards that? What, and, and the inkling is that that thing that you think you could never do because it's bigger than you that's what you should be aiming at don't aim at the things that you can do now those are those those goals are way too small for you i love it i love it (laughs) so what are your big goals what are your big scary hairy (laughs) goals in your life oh i love that you said scary hairy because i just got this image of like the monster under the bed do you really want to show that to people? Um, so there are some things that I will still keep private uh, because they're my, um, they're sort of like near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. uh, and, and not because I don't want to advertise them or, or bring them. Uh, it's just that they're, they are, they will come when they will come. <laughs> they're not ready uh, to, they're, they're yeah, not ready they're for seeds. us yet. They're still seeds, right? And if you show the seeds the light too early, uh, before you know, before planting them, then then they're. Then oh, they, I I totally get that, know, and I totally I, respect that. Yeah, I'm not a gardener, but I so <laughs> let's like just say that that any gardeners out there will be like, of course you do. <laughs> but, um, uh, but there, yeah, I I actually uh, carry with me everywhere I go a little post-it note that has all of my goals for 2019. I uh, have well for the year, and I wrote them actually last uh, summer, uh, some of them I have blasted through the water. I mean, blasted through those without ever having known that they were even on the radar, such as TEDx, uh, such as some of the other speaking competitions that I was in um, and that I won and and brought to light. Uh, The big one, though, and this kind of brings me to what I'm really excited about. Uh, So... As you know, I was working in the women's empowerment field. Uh, That's actually 
where you and I met on the stage of Vagina Monologues for quite a few production seasons. And um, then last May, so, so I'd been writing books up until last May, I'd been writing books about feminine empowerment and the women's movement. And really, it was very necessary at the time. And it came full swing with Me Too and Time's Up. And I was really instrumental in kind of bringing that voice of, of women. Um, and then my daughter, so I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, she turned to me last May and said, Mama, I want to write a book with you. And I went, oh, oh my, I mean, as a mother, I was so touched because here she is. She's only ever known her mama as, as an author and as a person who creates books. And so she's been watching, right? So be, be careful what you do. You never know who's watching. They're always They're watching. Always I call watching. mine, well, one in particular. I have three daughters, as yeah. you know. One we call the spy. <laughs> but aren't they all really? Yeah. Some are always just more watching. obvious about it. <laughs> um, but she wanted to write a book with me. And I just... It was the biggest honor for me. And I, in that moment, I almost had an epiphany that would almost rival that epiphany that I had with the Dalai Lama. It was almost like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, when you've got goosebumps, you, you're onto something, right? Something like you got to listen when you get the goosebumps, the god goddess bumps, I call them. God bumps, goddess bumps, depends on who's speaking. And in this time, it was my daughter. <laughs> so it was the goddess bumps. Um, and she... Uh, she wanted to write a book with me and so we took that time and it was sort of like that moment where she asked where I thought here I am empowering women right like women's empowerment and here's my number one woman feeling empowered and empowering me and inspiring me and I just thought like what else is it about Right? Like Mother Teresa said, you know, you want peace in the world? Start in your own home. So what you want women's empowerment in the world? Start with your own daughter. Yes. And that's exactly that moment was like this revolution for me of like, oh, all of this work. If I haven't, if I haven't empowered anyone, which I have, but if I haven't had that impact in the world, this quintessentially is the most important woman's empowerment moment ever I am loving that right I mean because I can relate obviously as a mom of three daughters that if I can raise them to be empowered to be strong to be confident then my work is done I can die happy kind of a thing you know (laughs) and I mean we're not nearly done but you know but I think we've gotten off to a good start and certainly your daughter at the age of nine right has gotten off to a beautiful start, thanks to you. Yes, thank you. Yes, so we actually, so we did, we came home and uh, we worked on it, you know, over the over the spring, May to June, you know, sort of just storyboarding and working and hashing out the details and creating these characters and falling in love with this story. Uh, and then we, uh, over July, over basically over summer holiday, so July, we actively wrote the book. Uh, we called it Camp Mama. So it was writing in the morning, then lunch, and then, you know, typical summertime things in the afternoon, pool and bike riding. She learned how to ride a bike, apropos, right, getting off the training wheels. Um, and at, by August, the book was done, and we 
brought it out and it hit number one bestseller within the same day that it was published with the help of our community and, and the people around us who are supporting us. And we were through that also able to raise $10,000 towards Autism Speaks, which was our charity of choice. And uh, the that has opened up this new world and a new dimension to my own speaking, my own writing, that I could not have perceived, right? That's the plan B. Here I was kind of all set on this course. And when the plan changed, when plan B, you know, when I was sort of like pivot, course correct, right? They say there's that great analogy that says um, a pilot can be taking off from New York and have it in the plans to go to Paris and then as he's making his way over the Atlantic, he or she, the pilot's making their, as the plane is making its way over the Atlantic, there's constantly headwinds and, and course uh, alterations, you know, things, air traffic control that has to set them on a different course. And there's constantly this course correct, constantly these changes to the, to the path. But with those changes, that plane can make it to Paris. So the same thing, you know, this is, I could have never known that I would have had to take so many pivots to the path, but that's my plan B, which is better than plan A. Plan B stands for better. Thank you so much for bringing to light that along this journey, when we're, you know, headed toward a destination, that things can change along the way and that we need to embrace that and not fight it. And, you know, I think... It's all part of the process and we just need to sort of go with the flow and not be too rigid, you know, as we're, as we're striving toward a goal. Yeah. And also, uh, know that sometimes, um, what looks like a challenge, what looks like a hiccup, what looks like, you know, someone taking something from you, uh, what looks like, you know, someone sort of hitching their thing off of off of something that you had created uh know that those are not those are not curses right like there's that um famous poem by Hafez that is uh you know you curse the rocks along your path until you look down down and see that those are diamonds in the rough right? like those those are the actual gifts that you were given uh the the blessings of the imperfection the blessings of the hiccup the blessings of the challenge right um uh, to say, like, uh, it's sort of like the God, like that GPS, like God's positioning system, right? If you are going the wrong way, God will create, and, and I'd say God in that sort of universal uh, energy that, that there is some sort of divine essence that is beyond us, that is bigger than us, that understands our path way beyond us. Now, we can also take sort of God out of that equation. But I say God in that sort of universal, non-religious way of saying there is something that is deeper than you that knows to drive you, you know, to have you turn left when you should have been turning right. That knows, you know, even if there's something that you think that someone is taking something from you, no one can ever take something from you that truly belongs to you. So if someone, you know, if you've come in with an idea and then someone takes it or what perce perceptively you could be deeming it as like, oh, they took that. 
And then you waste so much energy in that energy, you know, so much time and energy in that energy, that vibration of like, oh, I'm victimized. You're going to be miring in that victim mentality. Instead, you could kind of regroup, pull back and say, whoo, that wasn't for me. What is for me? What's around the corner? What's coming my way? Where is this course correct? Gosh, am I glad? I can give you so many examples where I am so glad that someone actually came in my way and put up a wall that I went, whoo, that's not for me. So what is for me? And I will honestly tell you, honestly, I I know you and I have known each other for a long time and we've shared some very uh, deep moments backstage when we, you know, during our performances uh, where some of the things that looked like things that should be pretty upsetting, you know, I've, I've gotten into the greatest health of my life, the best shape of my life because of one of those walls. I've gone on to have like to create this book with my daughter and, and this whole new, uh, direction because of one of those walls, which then brought me forward to giving this TEDx because of one of those walls. Like those walls were actually the biggest gifts. Yes, I agree. And I just had this experience personally recently where I was teaching my daughter that same lesson. And it can be a hard one to learn that, you know, things that look like roadblocks or closed doors, you know, where you you really think you want something so badly and it doesn't turn out. But I, I really do believe that, and it sounds like you do as well, that those things just weren't meant to be. And you're, like you said, course correction, we're going on a different path or, you know, slightly different way. And it's bringing us to where we are meant to be. Totally. Uh, There's a Joseph Campbell quote that I absolutely love because I love the imagery of it, where he says, when you follow your bliss, the universe will open doors for you where previously there were only windows. And I just love the imagery of that because I love whenever I hear that quote or think of that quote to myself, I think I'm in a hallway and I'm looking out the window. I can, you know, it's sort of like I'm in, it's at the aquarium or the zoo. I can look and go, oh, that's nice what's in that room. That's great. But I have no access to it. I can't get in. But it's nice. Or I can go to another window and go, whoo, what would it feel like to be in that room? And but if I'm following my bliss, if I'm following the thing that the, that the universe is aligning me for, then as I walk down that corridor, there's a door that's open. And I look in and go, ooh, that looks like fun. Because when you follow your bliss, you don't need to break down doors or break through windows or, or come in like a, like a night crawler, <laughs> you know, like sneaking in. No, when you follow your bliss, it will be open doors down that corridor. And one open door will lead you to a new corridor. And then there will be windows. And one open door will lead you down a new corridor. So speaking of bliss, yes. and more specifically, ecstasy. Ooh, I love where this oh, is going. Okay, <laughs> I thought you might. Um, you've talked about experiencing ecstasy in everyday life. Mm. And I would love to learn more about that because I know, you know, you had said that, um, you know, years ago when you were sort of, you know, reevaluating your life and how to, you know, find more happiness and passion in, in the everyday, um, you had said that, 
you didn't need to make some grandiose changes. You were still mama. You were still, you know, in your career, um, you know, at home with your family, your husband. So you didn't have to blow everything up, Mm -hmm. but how was it that you made certain changes and found that bliss, that ecstasy that you brought into your life that changed things for you? I love that you're asking me this. So uh, before I tell you my story, let me just kind of peel back. I feel like you, because you're such a discerning, intelligent woman, would have a discerning, intelligent audience. So I want to just share. Let's just break down that word bliss, ecstasy, right? Because we're, we're sort of using them interchangeably. And here's the thing. In English, we have very distinct notions of what is bliss and what is ecstasy. So we often think in English as uh, bliss being like the end of yoga class when you're in Shavasana and you're just like, oh, zend out, blissed out, right? It's very calm. It's a very sort of blissful energy, right? With it, that word bliss represents for us very calm, satiated, right? Where, and we hear the word ecstasy, and either we think of something like a drug that we take at a rave, <laughs> like just MDMA, which just part and parcel of like just for the scientifically amongst us, they're actually putting in uh, clinical trials for MDMA to have as a prescription drug because um, it does actually create sort of a uh, regression through trauma for a lot of a lot of people. But that's a side note. Uh, but we think of ecstasy as something kind of like hyped up. We think very often we think of ecstasy as sexual right? Like this high, this sexual high, drug-induced, sexual-induced. Well, so the way that I use the word ecstasy, especially in brave ecstatic woman, is actually in the original Sanskrit. There was a, there's a word, there are four levels of happiness. The highest of them is the word ananda, which means happy for absolutely no reason. So it's not the happiness that comes because you got a, you know, a, a straight A on your test or a job promotion or your kid comes home and says, Mama, I love you. Or, you know, it's not anything that's tied to anything outside of you, extrinsic. There's no reward. You know, there's no, it's not a feeling of accomplishment. It is simply that feeling of happiness for absolutely no reason. So we can call that ecstasy. We can call that bliss, ananda. Uh, even in the English, when we think of ecstatic, you know, we have that static. We have sort of the status, the, the homeostasis that all of us shift back into um, in our day-to-day lives. We're meant to do that. We are not meant to be in high states of, of ecstatic or ecstatic static meaning beyond the stasis because our body will naturally want to bring us back into status static life so that we can actually you know wash the dishes and and do the laundry right we won't be able to get anything done if we're in that beyond static state Um, however once we reach that ecstatic state once we start to desire it and and develop it and become very attuned to what it is that makes us there, that takes us there. It's like there's a great book by Michele Csikszentmihalyi called Flow, and where he talks about where you're really in this state of flow that time seems to just evaporate. And that could be playing with your children, that could be writing, that could be dancing. I mean, and that's ecstasy 
Flow is just another word for ecstasy. Bliss is another word for ecstasy. So once we tap into that, we can return to it. And that does not mean that we need to go to some ashram in the Himalayas uh, and and disconnect from our day-to-day life in order to achieve that. In fact, if we need to disconnect from our day-to-day life and go to some ashram in the Himalayas, means that it's not, in fact, ananda, happiness for no reason. Mm-hmm. We now have our happiness or our ecstasy attached to that thing, that pursuit of going outside of life. So, yes, now kind of with that, from that vantage point, uh, a few years ago when I was coming into that, uh, what's called the Venus returns or coming into those 40s years where uh, you start to, re, you know, reestablish and, and, and things start changing, um, I was uh, overworked, overwhelmed, overweight, and so over it. And I knew that if I continued going down that path, uh, first of all, I didn't recognize myself. I had no idea who I was, what I was doing. I mean, that 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 little girl that used to just like dance uh, like no one was watching was gone. Uh, that confidence, that joie de vivre, the juiciness, the, the you know, ability to laugh, the vivaciousness, right? That that joy was gone from within me. There was no wellspring of it anymore. I was dry. I was dry. And I knew that if I continued going down that path, it would be there would just be a shell of the woman that I wanted to be left. And so I started to pursue what it is that I could bring back into my life to have those moments of ecstasy. And those moments of ecstasy became minutes of ecstasy. And the minutes of ecstasy then became... Uh, access to ecstasy whenever I wanted. So hours of ecstasy and the hours of ecstasy became days of ecstasy. And now, listen, I'm not going to tell you I float around in like this state of ecstatic bliss, like I'm on an ecstatic cloud. But at any given time, if I needed to, and I wanted to, and I needed to bring myself to that state, I bring myself to that state. And even when I don't need to and want to, I do it because from a from a endocrinal perspective, so kind of back to that science perspective, when a woman feeds that that juiciness, that vivaciousness, that part of her essence, um, what happens is so women by and large, we in Western society are all adrenal fatigued, cortisol, cortisol deprived. So the cortisol works like a smokestack. We get stressed, the the sort of valve goes up, the smoke of cortisol goes up into our system, creates stress, works with the adrenaline, right? So, uh, and then goes into our system, and we start getting stressed. We start getting uh, lines. We lose our hair. We we you know lose our our libido. We have you know, we're dry. We become dry. Uh, in that moment of stress passes, the smokestack closes. And nothing can then come back down to feed, to feed, like to sort of lower those cortisol levels. It just stays. Eventually, as we do that and continue to do that and continue to do that, and the school calls and the, you know, mountain of laundry and the mountain of debt and all of that, we start getting cortisol deprived, cortisol deprived, cortisol deprived. The 
only way, <clears throat> eventually we, we become empty, which is where I was. The only way to feed that is to come in from under and raise your ecstatic levels, raise that those levels of uh, sensuality and, and sexuality as well. Uh, raise those creative juices so that, so that to fill and counterbalance what happens with the stress hormones. And that's what I started doing in my day-to-day life. And that's how I can now say I'm not overweight, I'm not overwhelmed, I'm not overworked. And that doesn't mean that the mountain of debt, the mountain of laundry, you know, and, and all the stressors in my life, you know, the three kids and the dog and the, uh, and the work and, and all of those. In fact, my life is fuller fuller. And yet I can approach each one of those segments of my life with this fullness and this juiciness and this joie de vivre that I couldn't have done previous. So it was sort of a gift that I gave not just to myself. It wasn't the selfish thing. It was a gift that I gave to my family as well and to the community and the people around me. I love that. And I think, and this has come up in when speaking with other women, there's something about the 40s and maybe you can speak to that. And I, I think for a lot of us, it's when we're coming out of this intense parenthood phase of, you know, being needed so much. And then, <clears throat> pardon me, all of a sudden we, you know, our kids get a bit older and we have a bit more time and a bit more freedom and a bit more flexibility to reconnect with ourselves and, and, and say, oh, wow, like things have changed. You know, who am I? What am I doing? Uh, you know, w- you know, what do I need to do to sort of not necessarily get back to who I was because I don't think we want to go backwards, but, you know, sort of, you know, rediscover who we are and who we want to be going forward. So, you know, what is it about the 40s um, that seems to be a time for many women to go on this journey? And, and, and also, in addition to that, like, what are some, you know, sort of steps that women can take to rediscover or to um, discover that ecstasy in their everyday lives. Yeah, well, so, <clears throat> well, I mean, humanity goes through uh, cycles of seven of seven years, right? So our first seven years, we are daughters, we're, we're girls, we're, we're, you know, in that infancy. Um, and, and primarily in those seven, first seven years, what we hear is a lot of be a good girl, right? We have very clearly defined uh, uh, social mores and norms around what it is to be a good girl and primarily those are be quiet be acquiescing uh be you know sort of pretty and and polite and pink um and sweet and so we hear that for the first seven years then we go through the next seven years with this sort of sexual awakening um but still that old programming around are we allowed to now become sexual beings, right, as we discover our sexuality, as we start to bud, as we start to flower, um, but still that programming around what it is to be a good girl. And then we go into, you know, the next seven years, which is all about creating that will and detaching from the parents, and the next seven years about becoming mothers, you know, or, or that maternal figure, even if we choose not to become mothers or, or if we delay the motherhood as well. But there's still something about a nurturing element that we come into in our 20s and early 30s. Um, it's also often known as the maiden, mother, and crone uh, sections of life. Now, I personally don't love the word crone because it's just been used, I mean, 
I'm sure we could reclaim it, much like some of the words that we've done in vagina monologues. But I still personally don't love the word crone. I prefer matriarch. So the maiden, mother, and matriarch uh, roles. And so when we are coming into our 40s, it's almost like we have fulfilled that good girl, the maiden, uh, which was enmeshed in this in that sort of sexual, right, like that sexual awakening that we had afterwards. We've fulfilled our... Uh, maternal, you know, like that mother role. Uh, so it's almost like we suddenly have that time to take stock. And, and some women haven't, you know, have their babies even into their 40s. But at one point, somewhere between age, usually 42 to 49, um, astrologically, they call that the Venus returns. Somewhere in that age, there will be the point where Venus has made its full cycle around the sun. And it returns to the exact same spot that it was when you were born. Venus, of course, being represented by love uh, and like sensuality and that depth. And so we kind of come into this organic growth, this chronological growth of like, I've, I've done that. I've been that. I've been what is expected of me and what biologically I needed to come through. And now suddenly there's, I'm looking at what that, what was I what was I living that was for those social norms and mores all of this time? And what is it that I'm now willing to look at for myself? What is it that I'm willing to abandon that good girl image that society has placed on me or to abandon that what a mother is, what a nurturing woman is, what a female is, what a, you know what what is all of those identities that we've put on ourselves we're now ready in our 40s to look at and say do I want the rest of my life to look like what it has looked like or do I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life and we're willing and courageous enough to actually act that so it's this perfect storm this confluence of like what's happening for us chronologically biologically physically and that age where we just go whew I'm ready for that. I Um, love that. So it's all about challenging what we've known. And do we want to continue with that? Or do we want to do something different to live authentically? Yeah. Is that what it comes down to? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's really at a crossroads. Like if I, going back to that Joseph Campbell imagery, you're really at that, you know, you've walked down the path. Here's a door that was open. Here's a door. And now this path has two doors. Maybe three doors, maybe four doors, but it has, you know, it's sort of like the the wealth, the abundance of choice now comes in because we've played by those rules that only gave us certain choices, right? Like you, you're either a good girl or you're a bad girl. You're either, you know, sweet or naughty. Uh, you either have children or you don't have children. You either build a career or you don't build a career, right? Like the, and then there's, I mean, it's obviously some gray in the, in there, but now coming into our forties, it's like, whoo. Like, what do I really want? And now there's actually an abundance of choice because you don't have to be good. (laughs) You don't have to be bad. You could be. You could be both. (laughs) Really good at being bad. (laughs) Or really bad at being good. Or really, you know, you could be sexy and or you could be, you know, or you could be sweet or you could be really sweetly sexy or really sexually sweet. So it's opening ourselves up to what could be, what we want, what we don't want, and just really thinking, you know, 
not in terms of what society's expectations are, but in terms of what truly brings us joy and what makes us feel the most genuine in order to live authentically. Totally. Is that what it... Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you just said that what really brings us joy, and I would even kind of take that further with the, with the understanding of what ananda is, what really brings us ananda, what really brings us ecstasy or bliss, right? What really brings us, like it's not just making me happy, it's making me beyond the static. It is making me really have a high, right? Like I'm high on that. And and that is life, right? We're not talking about uh, ecstasy that doesn't come naturally. But what is that that makes you high on life? I think we all deserve to to look at ourselves and to figure out what brings us to that place mm-hmm. and i can say when i met you mm. i knew that you had achieved it because <laughs> you're just magnetic oh thank you you really are thank and you. you know i haven't met many people like that which actually says a lot that more women need to be thinking about this yeah because not only and correct me if I'm wrong, but not only are you experiencing this Ananda, but other people feel it. And they that vibe that you're giving off changes other people and maybe opens them up for thinking, well, wait a minute. Like she is just on another level. I want to get me some of that, you know, like, yes, for sure. I think you, not only is it a beautiful thing for you to experience it, but it opens things up for, you know, other women to think, how can I get there? Yeah. Right. Like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Like I want one. I want what she's having. Exactly. Right. I want what she's having. And, um, and of course that's the famous line from when Harry met Sally, when, when Sally was, pretending to have that orgasm but I mean how about walking through life without even like we're not even talking about just sexually just but that too well (laughs) that's a that that, might be a whole other episode (laughs) it might have to be like a podcast that you have have hidden away in some sort of like parental controls (laughs) um a triple x but but a hundred percent you know what you do in your day-to-day life changes your body's hormonal patterns so you know i'm a big i love bringing what i you know what spirituality and science together this is a big thing for me so it's not just talking woo woo and saying like oh gosh once your vibration is up you know which is tangible and and necessary but i love to bring it into into very distinct scientific what's happening in your body so we all know that uh a swimmer will adopt a certain body physique or a runner will adopt a certain body physique or a gymnast will adopt a certain body physique, including the hormonal patterns. So we know that someone who's involved in very aggressive sports will have higher testosterone levels. Uh, you know, in high combat, will have higher adrenaline. Uh, we know that, you know, girls doing gymnastics will lose their period, right? It changes all of those uh 
all of the patterns, all of the hormonal patterns, the circadian rhythms, right? When you start to engage in the ecstasy that is in your life, it changes your hormonal patterns. It creates a higher oxytocin, which comes from the uh, endocrine that is around your heart. And that is the uh, nurturing, you know, very sort of the embracing. Uh, They call it the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. It's the same one that lets the milk down Mm -hmm. or the contractions start when you're when you're about to give birth. Um, It that higher levels of oxytocin, you'll find also that women's breasts get larger right? Part and parcel. Uh, What are the markers of attraction for men and for women in women? It is fullness, juiciness, right? Uh, Low waist to hip ratio and and large breasts. I mean, all of that, when we talk from time immemorial, when we talk about sexy women, it's because they have known this secret to ecstasy. They have known that increasing their own ecstasy in their body actually creates a feedback loop, a response within their own body to actually have them become more attractive. And then it's a feedback because then they're more attractive. So I will tell you, I mean, I am definitely the oldest that I've ever been. Uh, uh, There was a time that I was the heaviest that I've ever been. And, you know, having found these secrets, um, that changed and started to morph my body. But as I was developing these secrets, I was getting, and don't get me wrong, it's not, for me, it wasn't a litmus. It was just sort of like a, oh, isn't that interesting? I was getting approached by more men, by more women, like hit on than I had ever been hit on, even as a young woman in my 20s, when my, you know, boobs were anti-gravity and my butt was, you know, like, when, when, like, when you would think that that's, like, a lot of women in our 40s think, well, you know, I'm past that, the 20s is when, you know, gosh, was I a hottie back then, and I didn't even know it, and I'm saying that is also uh, social bias, because it's not true. We get more and more and more attractive. And the women who know this are actually can confirm this, can say, well, yeah, I'm actually more uh, sensual today. I'm, I'm more open. I, there's a vibration about me that has people coming up to me and, and unabashedly letting me know that I'm having an effect on them. And it's, it's a great thing to hear because that just confirms whatever it is that I'm doing is getting more. And, and like I say, I say that with humility because I'm definitely not, you know, not younger than I ever was, not slimmer than I ever was. Uh, those things that you think are the things that people would be attracted to. No, it's all got to do with the juiciness. It's all got to do with that level within us. Well, and I think it speaks to what we were talking about earlier as far as, you know, society's norms and kind of saying, fuck that. Yeah. You know, and and living the way we want to live. And then, um, you know, I think the more confidence that we feel in ourselves, the more, you know, joy we feel in our lives. Like you said, it puts out this vibration that people just respond to. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's what I call the feminine essence. And and I know a lot of other people speak about that. Um, But I think a lot of people uh, hear that and think that it's something to do with being docile or, or submissive. 
or um, eager to please. And it's so not that. In fact, uh, I would say it's even the opposite. It's eager to be pleased. It's eager to be pleased. So the world is working for you. Men, women, they're here eager to please you. You know, we know a thing called paranoia. So that's when you believe that the you know world is out to get you. There's another thing called pronoia, which is the belief that the world is here for you, is showing up for you, hmm. is eager to please you. And it's a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. But it's one that once you make it, starts to prove itself correct to you. If you really change your mind, if you really change your mind, you know, it's not what you see. Uh, See it and you'll believe it. It's what you believe and then you'll see it. Once you believe that the world is eager to please you, you will start getting pleased everywhere you look. I love that. Thank you. You're so welcome. So okay, welcome. ladies. I know. Dip your toe turned. in that pool, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we kind of did turn it a little. We do that, though. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Like I said, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go full into yeah. into that pool we'll into, take a we'll do a cannonball into that pool but for I today love that you just said that because then it gave me the uh visual of huge waves coming out of the pool and we will yeah. talk about that that's a yes. that's a yeah, there's a we, little teaser for episode two of Marav Richter <laughs> I guess this is what you get when you put two vagina monologues actresses together it's true it's true <laughs> Yes. So tell me, what is next for you? What excites you about the future? Oh, well, I'm so excited about what comes next, though. It feels a little, um, you know, it's bringing it right back to sort of like PG. Let's, let's bring it right back down. But I'm equally as excited about it. So it's not, um, it's not like it belongs in two different camps. Uh, my daughter and I are writing another book this summer. Uh, and it is going to be just incredible. I'm going to share just a teaser about it. It's called Angels Academy. And you know, very often we think of angels as already coming with their wings, but oh no. Angels need to earn their wings. They need to pass different levels. They need to go to school. They need to learn how to be uh, worthy of their wings. And they learn those lessons at Angels Academy. I love it. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? And did Ella come up with that concept? She completely came up with that. And we're working together on this sort of little friendship, you know, this this band of of friends. Uh, And one of the angels in training uh, uh, just very naively but accidentally um, unleashes a demon. And before that demon uh, can eradicate humanity, this group of friends has to come and save her. Um, and so, I mean, it just has everything, adventure and mystique and, and intrigue and, and girl power and girl power. <laughs> and there's a boy in there too, Wonderful. you know, so we have, yeah. So that's our, um, our next, our next project. I just have no doubt in my mind. Um, I, not only the success of that book, I, you just, I feel it, but that's really not what it's about. It's really not what it's about. 
I have no doubt that my daughter and I will sit down at our kitchen table and have this bonding time where we are just creating, where we are in Ananda, where we are in flow, when we're in creativity, and um, where I feel even stronger that I'm bringing her access, a little portal of access into her own Ananda for her own life so that she can say, you know, where do I feel the most free? Where can I tap into that ecstasy? And then use that tool of how to get into ecstasy naturally later on in in her future so that she doesn't wake up when she's 40 something and say, well, where was my Ananda, where was my ecstasy all these years? You're such a good mama for teaching her these valuable lessons at a young age. <clears throat> oh, thank you. I, I, you know, you can only, right, wings and roots and wings. You can only give them the roots and wings, and then you hope that they can walk into life knowing what to do with it. Well, you're doing a damn good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you thank for being you. a great role model to your daughter and your sons, of course, and to me and so many other women. Oh, thank you so much. That's such a huge compliment. Thank you. So now we'll move on to the final five. So these are the questions that I ask of every guest. The first one is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, if I could have one superpower. I think you have a hint of what it would be. Do you have a hint? Do you want to take a guess? Hmm. Oh. <laughs> Does it have to do with sensitivity and and feeling and... No? Am I on the right track? Uh, that's amazing. And that is my superpower. Okay. <laughs> it is. And so if I w- if you would have asked me when I was a little girl what I really wanted to do um, in the sense of like superhero is fly. And as you know, I came into my adult life flying. Yes. I, <laughs> We're going to get into that. In, well, yeah. I think. Well, anyway, go ahead. Well, it probably <laughs> does because I know it segues into probably what you'll ask me next. But flying would have been my superpower that I wished for. Um, and in lieu of not being able to fly myself, I fly in airplanes, but, uh, uh, having, being highly sensitive is my superpower. I don't know that I would have wished for it though. It is what I have, but I don't know that I would have wished for it. So it's one of those kind of like, do superheroes ever actually say like, oh, I love my superpower. Or did they go, hmm, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I want, I, I want to develop my I want to take my, my sensitivity and, and fly with it. How's that? Yeah. yeah. I think I think as long as you figure out how to use it to your advantage, it can be your superpower. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And fly with it. Yes. The feeling of flying is still my, mm, gosh, I would, like, that does it for me. Yeah. That does it for me. <laughs> when you were a kid, what did you think it'd be when you grow up? I, I know this specifically. My One of my first flights uh, was on, um, KLM. And, uh, I was just so enamored with the stewardesses. They looked so gorgeous and glamorous and oh my gosh. And, um, at the time, actually they came through with the duty-free trolley and my mom bought me a, uh, 
KLM stewardess Barbie doll. And I was like the the antithesis of a girly girl. I didn't even own a Barbie doll. I was such a tomboy and, and always in the mud and digging for worms and getting my knees dirty and playing. Like I was just, but it was my only um Barbie type doll and uh I played with that yeah and I since then wanted to be a stewardess but of course I had a lisp when I was little though it was a stewardess I wanted to be a stewardess uh and then when I was uh just before finishing high school I went to a guidance counselor and they asked me you know very prim and proper like well and I, they didn't have this accent and I'm sorry to anyone who has an English accent but it just seems like this guidance counselor should, you know, had that sort of snooty accent that's like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a stewardess. And they said like, oh, no, 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 dear, no. You know, you need to pursue something academic. You're too smart to be a stewardess. Like you can do that maybe for a year before you're, you know, before you get into your real career when you're young. But no, no, no. You need to do something a little bit more academic. And I said, okay, then I want to be an, an author a writer and she went <laughs> no DSC. that's something that you do when you're much older when you've lived life when you have something to say what kind of academic thing would you like to do so I said uh, okay well then I'd like to be a philosopher and she goes oh okay this is more more academic okay what kind of philosopher would you like to be and I said I, 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 Greek <laughs> I'd like to be a Greek philosopher um, but then I did, I actually, uh, went to do a little piecework after uh, high school and came back to university to study philosophy and, uh, just found that my f- need to fly and travel and go back to where I was doing piecework was so strong. And my mom, who was still alive at the time, actually, uh, found a clipping in the newspaper when there were newspapers, you know, and there were still things to clip. <laughs> you know, it was, And she said, uh, do you remember when you were little and you wanted to be a, a stewardess? And I said, well, yes, of course. Uh, that's all I ever wanted to be when I was little until I kind of came into this understanding that, that, you know, that's not a real career. And she said, well, they're hiring. So I was in my first year of university and I went to go work for the major airline. Uh, and I stayed for more than a year and I stayed more for more than two I did end up finishing my degree on the side but uh, that career has uh, developed and evolved and I went on to be um, working in the airline as a trainer and doing some really great initiatives including an autism awareness initiative at the airline and uh, it and I've continued to fly as well as write so take that Miss Snooty Guidance Counselor (laughs) (laughs) What do you know? <laughs> Turns out you can be everything that you want to you be. You can have it all. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that during your flights, you have um, been motivated to try to establish a genuine connection with at least one person for, per flight. So how did that come about? Oh, great question. So um, there was a time... Where And it was probably around that same time where I was coming into where I needed to hear the Dalai Lama say what he did. And, you know, where I was really coming into this sort of like, what's next for me? Where can I? I was looking down that follow your bliss corridor to see what where my bliss was. And I started to feel a little bit, you know, even though my job had, had given me 
very, very many benefits. Um, but I was starting to feel that I was a little, you know, that the job wasn't big enough, that I wanted something bigger in life, that I wanted to pursue something that meant something more. And I didn't yet know what that was. Uh, but then I realized that rather than chucking that and, and throwing that out and pursuing the next tangent, uh, I was going to involve all the things that I really loved into my, you know, what I call my my side hustle or my side gig or my sexier plan. But then I needed to make that job, rather than finding a bigger job to fulfill, I needed to make that job be bigger than it was. It needed to have a bigger attachment for me, for me to really be fulfilled there. So I didn't change my job. I just made my job bigger for me. And what I did was I wrote my own little flight attendant mission statement. I call it my FAM, flight attendant mission statement. Uh, And it was that I would endeavor amongst some other things that included compassion and humor and empathy towards everyone, but also I would endeavor to make a special, deep human connection with at least one person on every flight. And I started that about 15 years ago, and it's incredible how many stories I've heard, and not just that, how many times the universe has brought me back in contact with that person. Unbeknownst to me, we could have never planned that. But to have met the granddaughter of someone who uh, the grandmother had spoken about her flight and that human connection that she made to her granddaughter, and then I meet the granddaughter years later, or to have met the daughter-in-law when I was at a mommy and baby group of the father-in-law who retells the story of why he only chooses to go with one particular airline because of a flight attendant that he made a connection with years ago and then meeting her years later. I mean, the connections were unbelievable, Um, you know, and, and very often when I meet someone years later who retells to me this someone who had in their family a connection and I say, oh, of course, and they'll name their name or know something intimate about them, you know, something that they had gone through in their life. And their sort of family member or some, whoever it is will say, how could you remember that? How did you know that? And I'll say, because they were my one. They were my one. I love that. I love how you said that you wanted to make the job bigger. Because, and we talked about this earlier, you know, how can you find this this joy, this ananda I yeah, said that right. I right? Know, definitely, yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> so how can you find that in your everyday life? And I think this is just another example of how you've done that. And I love that. And I think that's such an important lesson mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. You know, it, I just want to say how how about that for a little tip? Uh, companies have mission statements. Businesses have mission statements. Not for profits have mission statements. Schools have mission statements. A classroom will have a mission statement. Why don't you have a mission statement? Hmm. I love that. Where's your life's mission I don't statement? have one. Well, there we go. What is Kim's mission statement? And what is, you know, and it doesn't have to be Kim's all-encompassing life mission statement because that could seem a little daunting. But what is Kim's mission statement as a mom? What is Kim's mission statement as a, as a, as a business woman, as an entrepreneur? What is Kim's mission statement? As, you know, every facet of life. What is your mission statement? 
what is your mission statement as a you know if you if you start an exercise regime right we could call it a goal mm-hmm. but a goal you know hey, goals are great i'm not against goals i'm i'm really into goals with soul right because if you get your whole soul into it it's like it's not just a been there done that check that off the off the list it becomes like something that your soul craves but what about instead of having a mission statement as a, a goal sorry instead of having a goal have a mission statement i'm going to go to the gym because my mission is to be able to bring this body to every facet to have energy for every single facet of my life i mean that's right that's not got to do with what the weight is or what the reps are or what the you know it's it's got to do with like that bigger mission Mm -hmm. it's bigger bigger wonderful yeah thank you you're welcome (laughs) if it were your last day on earth what would your final meal be pad thai easy oh wow okay (laughs) boom 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 i do love me some pad thai i know peanuts i add peanuts yes i'm a peanut girl yeah too but you know like i could whatever you know some people can have it with shrimp some people like it's versatile it is vegetarian it's so yummy i think i'm gonna have pad thai on my out for dinner tonight i'm hungry thank you (laughs) (laughs) who is a woman in history or present day you admire oh my gosh there are so so many um and i do love that question uh though you know, to pin it down to one is is really difficult. And I could probably say that there are very, very many that depending on the on the energy that I want to feel, I will draw and call into my awareness. So if I want to feel really seductive, I call in Cleopatra. If I want to make sort of like these big uh, movement decisions, like, you know, when we're talking about women's empowerment and the women's movement, I'll call Joan of Arc, right? When I want to call in uh, compassion and humanity, Mother Teresa, right? There are so many women that I can sort of say, like, you know, what would this do? Like, what would... Um, Maya Angelou, whenever I'm writing. Oh, yes. I I kind of call in, you know, I think of, like, how would Maya Angelou approach this this poem or this piece of of literature? Um and you know living of course there are also so many women uh and i give them thanks and reverence though for me a personal favorite uh and it's more so because of the archetype uh rather than sort of like that fictitious character but for me it's wonder woman and i often think what would wonder woman do so what would this woman who is half goddess half human warrior um, you know, who has this, like, uh, she, notice with Wonder Woman as a superhero, she actually isn't born, well, I shouldn't say that. She, she's not, her innate abilities, her, her like, godlike abilities are not, are, are not sort of, as far as superheroes go, um, they are both within her. They're both intrinsic and extrinsic, but they're not as if she's sort of in possession of like this power to freeze, this power to, you know, this, right? She actually has to come up, to come into it and have an awareness to, to learn how to use that power. And it's just something lovely about that whole being in wonder, being in awe. And it doesn't, 
you know, it helps also that, of course, when I was a little girl, I would stand on top of the hill and turn around in circles and, <laughs> you know, and pretend to be Wonder Woman. But that transformation into Wonder Woman, I can definitely say that for me, I ask myself all the time, what would Wonder Woman do? I actually call it like the uh, 5WD. <laughs> I was thinking about that. <laughs> no, 4WD. Sorry. Four, yeah. I, yeah, 4WD. 4WD. What would Wonder Woman do? Yeah, 4WD. Uh, yeah, I think that often. What would Wonder Woman do? Yeah, I would like to be Wonder Woman. Well, you are. Ah, ah, I love you. Yes. Uh, What is your favorite quote? Oh, yes. I can't wait to hear. Oh, it's actually engraved on the back of my phone. Oh. Yes. However, of course, you know, phones have cases, right? To make it. (laughs) So no one actually sees, but it's uh, uh, people won't remember what you said. People won't remember what you did. People will remember how you made them feel. Well, that is, that is so true for you because you thank do you. make people feel. And thank you so much for sharing today and for being here. I think there are many lessons that you've given us, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure and my honor. This has been such a thrill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.